As the world slowly starts to reopen after coronavirus lockdowns, we are hearing how the pandemic is affecting sports. We talked to New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton on testing positive for the virus. It was just uh, two, two and a half, three days of you know, some chills and body aches. Illusionist David Blaine is making magic for healthcare heroes. Just to show that, you know, I do appreciate people, appreciate what they're doing. And pro golfer Annika Sorenstam on homeschooling her kids. It's not easy. Plus, postponing the 2020 games with Olympic Committee member Dick Pound and gun manufacturer Jesse James sees a bump in demand. We begin with coach Sean Payton. What was your initial reaction when you found out you had the coronavirus? By the time I got the test result back, I was beginning to already feel better. I never really lost any appetite. I only had the one day of a fever. Nothing from a respiratory standpoint. It was, it was just the two, two and a half, three days of you know, some chills and body aches. But I would say my, my recovery then happened very quickly. You know, Monday with first symptoms, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, test result comes back positive Friday, I felt better. Saturday over that weekend, felt better. Um, clearly the next week felt better. Uh, and all the way through into the beginning of this week. And and now we're, I feel fine. I mean, the coverage of this could give anybody pause who gets it, regardless of if uh, they're gonna make a full recovery. So at what point well, did you like feel comfortable in the process that you were gonna be fine and get through it? I think early on it comes because really look informationally 95% of the people that that get this virus many have gotten it they feel like uh, the experts feel like many have had it and didn't realize they had it and then there's that group that it's going to be a little bit more complex relative to a recovery and then the, the last group is is the is the ones that are the ones that man unfortunately we're, we're watching daily on the news and we're watching you know, the ventilators and then from the ventilators, um, you know, eventually uh, um, passing away. And so everyone, not just in our country, but globally is affected by something like this. And um, and I, I think it's been devastating. In New Orleans is particularly hit hard by this currently. What are you seeing and hearing? Well, look, I'm not seeing a lot because we're really not out a lot, but this is one of the hotspot regions. And, and look, I think we'll know a lot more a year from now, two, two years from now, is it, is it because of Mardi Gras? Honestly, all of our big cities are gonna see these spikes. And, and I think that's the key now is, you know, we, we've, we've got some information as to how we can control this. What do you think of how the NFL has been handling everything? Well, look, honestly, I haven't really paid much attention to it. I mean, we pay attention to our guidelines, but I think my attention's been more towards our, our country. And I think it, all of this takes a back seat uh, clearly to, to what we're facing uh, uh, as a state, uh, as a country, and, and, and you, don't, you don't burn your energy on the things you, you can't control. Um, so for us, uh, we've looked closely at how we wanna handle things for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, our employees are at home. Uh, it's making sure their families are safe. Uh, what can we do? What can we do to help our community? The likelihood the NFL season starts on time, in your opinion, and if so, um, how you think fan attendance could be different, either by fans' choice or mandate? 
Yeah, those are those are great questions. I the challenge with this virus and and every evening, you know, we tune in and we're listening to what happened that day and, and the challenges the challenges I think are so rapidly changing. Like I have no idea what this looks like come August. You know, in other words, my daughter and I were talking. She's like, when do you think we'll be back to normal? I said, man, I wish I could answer that question. Normal as we know it. But, you know, I think we're so, I feel like we're so much more focused on tomorrow, this week. And so um, it, to me, seems September seems like five years from now. <laughs> and, and so I, I don't really know uh, at all how that's going to be impacted. And I don't know that. I don't know that anyone else does either. What do you think of your guy Drew's donation? It's so Drew Brees, you know, and, and he and Brittany, what they what they brought to this community. You know, when we when we arrived back in 06, it was post Katrina. And at that time, there were there were so many, so many ways to help. It was almost overwhelming. And I know uh, they had set up a foundation. Um, we set up a foundation. Many of our players did because there were so many holes, people that needed a, a lot of help. And uh, look, he and Brittany have always come through for this region. And so, man, when, when he announced that, it was um, pretty impressive. And I think just the, the idea of, you know, when school stops, man, there's a lot of kids counting on those meals, those breakfasts, those lunches. Um, our frontline workers, how are they eating? You know, and so all of us uh, are jumping in uh, effort-wise, not only physically, but to our pocketbooks as well. How can we help? And that's one of the cool things about, I think one of the cool things about our team. Uh, we've, we've been exposed to uh, different levels of, of, of setbacks, if you will. We, we were here, obviously, post-Katrina. Then we had the, the oil disaster, and we were down in Venice, and we were there when people, you know, their livelihoods were, were, were taken away and, and, and that lasted a while. Obviously the dynamic of this is much different because it impacts every region. I don't care what state you live in and I don't care whether, whether your state shows it's a hot spot or not, it's coming. You know, it, it, this is coming to every state and those states that are gonna be uh, extremely prepared or are going to fare differently than the ones that aren't. One of the most widespread athletic impacts postponing the 2020 Olympic Games, IOC member Dick Pound shares what led to the historic decision and the obstacles ahead. The Olympics have been uh, delayed a year. You're the longest serving member of the IOC. You came out early um, encouraging that to happen. What was that initial encouragement on your end met with in terms of reaction? Well, I, I think uh, more interest than, than, than apprehension at first, but I think everybody was in lockstep uh, moving towards the original date of July 24th. And, and the purpose of my statement to the, uh, in, in an interview was, look, um, there's an elephant in the room here and, and you've got to face the prospect that there, it might not be possible to proceed on July 24th, and therefore somebody should be thinking seriously about a plan B. And the plan, the plan B was either cancellation outright, which would destroy the, all the work of the Japanese over the last seven to ten years, and 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 you know take away an Olympic opportunity from an entire generation of athletes, 
So my hope was that the the, the, the best solution would be a, a postponement. And then I think people started to think about that. And uh, what turned the tide at the end was uh, the World Health Organization saying, listen, this curve is not leveling out. In fact, it's getting increasingly steep. And even though things are better in Japan because they moved quickly when this uh, struck, uh, the rest of the world has not. And so even if Japan is uh, virus three, uh, free, rather, uh, the rest of the world may not be able to travel to Japan. So let's start thinking about what needs to happen. The last time the Olympics were canceled was during World War II. Um, how much consideration do you think was actually given to canceling the games where they would not have then happened in Tokyo? I, I think it's, it's one of the alternatives you have to consider, but uh, I, we're, I'm very happy that, that the IOC and, and Japan uh, came to the same conclusion that it's better to postpone than to cancel. The Olympics today are probably the most complex and interrelated and interconnected peaceful event on the face of the planet. And there are thousands and thousands of moving parts that, that will have to be arranged. I think it can be done, but it's going to take a lot of work. And, and I think this involves about 11,000 athletes from 206 countries uh, and 35 to 40 international sports federations. And it, it's an event that has to all of these things have to occur within 17 days. It's, it's really extraordinary. The, the games in 2020 were heading for being the best organized Olympics ever. And they have the capacity to, to put that on hold for a year and, and, and recreate it, but it's, it'll be complicated. How do you view this moment in history um, in terms of the obstacle being worked through relative to other challenges the Olympics have experienced over the years? Well, I'd say this is the first time in, in sort of modern Olympic memory where you, you face a worldwide health crisis as opposed to a worldwide political crisis or a war or something like that. If we get this put together for 2021, it'll be a, a real indication of, of how international goodwill and particularly among the youth of the world, uh, can be a, an example uh, to follow. I've always thought that, you know, one of the reasons that people are inordinately disappointed when something goes wrong with the Olympics is that when it goes right, it shows, you know, the world can work uh, together, even if it's only a couple of weeks every four years. But if that happens, maybe the world can work too. So uh, this this will be, if we come out of this the way we all hope, it'll be a a, a huge statement of what can be done when people are willing to work for the, the same objective. How has your day-to-day -day work changed since the postponement? Well, other than sitting in, mainly in a, in a nice office with air conditioning and whatnot, I'm in the basement at home. Uh, but the, these days, you know, if you have your laptop and you're plugged in, you've got your office with you. There's been a fair amount of uh, um, involvement with the media and, and uh, writing and doing op-eds and things like that, uh, again, which can be done uh, uh, from home. So it's, 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 you can get used to it and uh, I don't have to wear socks to work. <laughs> there you go. Um, anything you plan to do during this time is shelter in homes, uh, in effect, that's just different from your normal day-to-day? 
I would say my perspective, this, this is a, an existential threat uh, to the world. And, and it, it unfortunately was not taken seriously enough when it first uh, broke. And that's allowed the, the contact that enables the pandemic aspect of the, uh, the virus to demonstrate that, uh, how serious it is. So we've really got to figure out uh, how, to, how to change that curve. Uh, I have great faith in the intellectual output of all of the people that are working on uh, identifying a, uh, a vaccine for this. And, and that's something that will be uh, uh, very important uh, as it comes. But I, I guess the big life lesson is, and if you just focus on the Olympics, is, is this is not the only pandemic we're likely to face uh, in the years ahead. And, and, and I hope that, we, you know, the lessons we've learned from fiddling a bit while Rome burned uh, will not be lost and that the next time this happens there'll be an instantaneous uh, reaction to it. While social distancing keeps everyone apart, illusionist David Blaine is using social media and magic to bring people together. Um, first, congrats on the special. It was amazing. How did it all come together? You know, so, you know, I, I, it wasn't ready, obviously. I, it was, I was going to deliver it sometime in November. But ABC, when this happened, said, uh, let's get this on the air during this. People could use a bit of magic. And I thought about it. And they said, April 1st is your day. And I was like, uh, I'll try. It's almost impossible, but I'll try. And so we, we just basically quickly started assembling and putting things together. And, and, and uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was one of those things that I'm happy I did it because I do feel like otherwise... It, it might not have ever happened. And I do feel like this is a time when family and that, that, that message is more important than the mystery of a magician. So, it, you know, and then the opening was what I've been doing, which is just magic to kids in hospitals or magic over FaceTime and things like that. And magic to the staff as well, because they're taking a really hard hit. What sticks out to you over the years from your time with the nurses in hospitals, the people that are now on the front lines, obviously, of this battle against coronavirus? Yeah, so, you know, my best friend since childhood is a cop and I've been speaking to him every day and it's, you know, 40% of his department right now is sick and it's, it's, it's tough, you know, and, and, and people are seeing people not making it, there's not enough respirators and things like that. So. You know, I try to give them a little, a little bit of magic if they want, when they have time, just to show that, you know, I do appreciate people appreciate what they're doing, but it, it's tough out there. You know, the, some of the nurses I've just done the magic for, one of them just got tested with it and then they don't want to go back home because they don't want to get their family sick, which is the tough part for me. It's, it's when I was suddenly quarantined in LA, I wanted to go be in France with my daughter but she's with her mom and grandma and I didn't want to risk getting her grandmother sick, you know? So I, I basically made that decision. I'm going to wait it out till we can test for antibodies or until we have some sort of a, a, a way to make sure she's going to be safe. You obviously when uh, travel is allowed spend time all over the world. Um, how about just a perspective in general for what you're seeing going on globally with coronavirus? I mean, you know, there is some sort of silver lining, as they say, like it is bringing people together. People are becoming 
you know, more sympathetic to each other, which is really nice. The, the air is, is changing, the water is changing. So I think it will give us a new awareness. And I do think that when the whole world comes together on one idea or one thought, I do think that they can resolve it at a very high pace. I, I, I did remember Bill Gates constantly. I listened to his talks and speak saying that there's a big pandemic coming. And by the way, I don't think this is the one. I think there's one that's coming that would be way beyond what we could imagine. So it's almost like we realize now, like our, our, our hospital, our healthcare, our systems, we're short, short staffed, and we can't handle this type of outpouring. So maybe people prepare better and have better ways to approach this. My only concern right now is, you know, how are we going to connect together and figure out how to move past this so we don't lose lots of lives unnecessarily like we already are. What do you think should be done? I think what people are trying to do, which is slow the spreading of the, because once again, as, as, as everybody knows, the virus is, you know, 25% of the people that have it don't even know. They're asymptomatic, but they're spreading it at such a high rate. And the real problem with that is like one of my dear friend's daughter, for example, that has major immune deficiency, you know, she has really a, a, a very difficult life the last couple of years. The coronavirus has taken up all the hospitals, all the beds. So now she has a real life-threatening situation, but she can't get into the hospital that she's normally with because of the coronavirus. So, you know, it's not like we have, it's not like it's a, oh, this is, you know, this is a time to try to fight. Let science fight while we just follow the rules and try to do what, what everybody is saying to do. Golf great Annika Sorenstam was to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House in early 2020, but coronavirus has delayed the ceremony now, like many parents, she's teeing off as teacher and says her homeschool handicap isn't up to par. The country, the world going through tough times. Florida's now under uh, stay-at-home orders. How, how has that changed your day-to-day? -day? Well, I think like many Americans or many in this country is, you know, everything has been on, put on hold. Um, I used to travel quite a bit, you know, used to have sponsor outings and charity events or foundation tournaments or golf tournaments to attend, you know, literally every other week, somehow, somewhere in the world. So yeah, our schedules have been put to hold and which I understandably so, but uh, yeah, so spending a lot of time at home, we have taken the approach of listening to, you know, the government and kind of the health organization's advice. And we're getting into homeschooling or virtual learning, which, you know, I, a lot of respect to all the parents have been doing that for a while. It's not easy. Luckily, our kids are just fifth grade and third grade, so we still understand a little bit what they're learning, but, you know, it's hard to just jump in and, and have them sit down and focus, and I mean, it's a lot of testing in a way, and uh, reading and trying to keep their minds on, on education, but, you know, we're spending a lot of time. I mean, you got to look at it positively, you know, we're, we're really parenting in a way that, you know, spending time and doing things together and learning together. You know, we have played a lot of uh, cards. We have um, played some Yahtzee. You know, we're spending time together watching movies, things that we really wouldn't be doing. We've been golfing. Uh, just, I think, really, in the end, it's quality time. But I, I think that that's, that's all you can do now. I mean, be lucky we have each other and we have company and we're trying to make the most out of it. How do you explain to the kids what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we have the TV on all the time. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but we like to know what's going on. And, you know, so of course they hear 
news in the background and it's not always positive nowadays. So yeah, they question and if somebody coughs, they're like, do they have the corona? You know, it's like, it's just, it's, you know, all these words that we've never been using before, like social distancing and virtual learning and all those things. It's, it's very new for them too. So, but we, we have tried to just have an open communication. We ask them questions and they seem okay, but uh, you know, I'm sure the longer, the longer this takes, the harder, you know, it could take a toll on some kids and you need to be able to be there for them. On the sports front, uh, your thoughts on how the PGA and LPGA have handled their responses to this? When you look at the LPGA or PGA Tour, I mean, we, a lot of the decisions been made have been followed other organizations, whether it's the NBA or NHL or, or whatever it is. It's, it's just very, very surreal. So, um, so far, I mean, I think they've, they've done a, a good job communicating. I know the PGA was, you know, we actually attended the Players' Championship when, when all of this was happening, really the day of when they started to cancel everything and we were meeting a lot of people and that, then we realized that this is scary and you really shouldn't be going to golf tournaments. So I think they pulled the trigger quickly. What, what, what was that out. like when you guys were at the Players' Championship and everything's just starting to unfold? Well, yeah, it was, uh, it was literally that night when they, they started to um, look at international travel. Then they started, you know, you, you know, we had lots of meetings set up. You know, you meet sponsors, you meet other players. I had a meeting with Henrik Stenson talking about the mixed, you know, the mixed tournament in Sweden. And it's like you go and greet somebody and it was like, normally you hug and all of a sudden it's like elbow this, elbow here. And you're like, you really didn't know. It was the beginning of, you know, how do we even say hello to each other? And it just kind of unraveled that week. And I, But I think people were just in shock that this was getting to this point where it is today. Once play inevitably resumes, whenever that is, having gone through coronavirus as a nation, as a world, what changes do you think end up being made on the, the tournament front or should be considered by golf uh, officials? Yeah, it's a very good question. I do think things will be different. Um, I really do. And, I, you know, this is a big wake-up call in many ways, how we just greet people, how we do business, how we, you know, uh, conduct ourselves and how vulnerable in a way we are when we travel around the world, uh, makes the world really small. And, you know, I think things will change. I mean, in a golf, you know, golf for now, it's, you know, we have always, we look, look at our sport and, you know, we have fans very, very close to us. So how do you find a, a medium where we are, everybody's safe and happy and healthy and still pursue the things that we did. So I do think that certain things will change. Um, but, you know, as of now, I think it's more, okay, we have to deal with this. But moving forward, I, I always believe that when tough times are, when we're in tough times, we somehow figure out ways to get better. For motorcycle enthusiast and gun manufacturer Jesse James, he's seen a boost in business since the COVID-19 shutdown. You're in uh, Austin. Um, how are mm -hmm. things on the ground there now with everything going on with coronavirus? Well, you've been here. Like, we're kind of out in the country. We're 20 miles from downtown, but downtown Austin is like a ghost town, you know. And it, uh, But out here, we kind of, like, the closest neighbor is like a half a mile away from me. So, like, I don't really you know, go around. I mean, we're still the shop because of fight. We're a firearm manufacturer, so we're still building, but it's only a couple guys, like a ghost crew. And we've like kind of talked to everybody about just being safe, 
shops locked down, no one's allowed to come by, no friends, nothing like that, customers. So just, but it, it seems where we are, I mean, it's like 50-50. I feel like 50% of it, yeah, it's a dangerous virus and more contagious than the flu, but 50%, I also think, I feel like there's a little bit of, you know how like when there's a hurricane and they'll show the guy like standing outside the news reporter in the wind, yeah, it's so I can barely stand up with rain gear, but the cameraman's like standing there just fine. I feel like there's a lot of that going on where it's like sensationalizing it and, you know, I guess anything, you, the worse it is, the more people are going to be keyed in to watch stuff or log in and, you know. So you, you mentioned the, the shop, um, you know, you're uh, obviously uniquely situated for quarantine because of just this yeah. amazing compound of a, a place you have there. I feel like um, a genius for moving out of California because I live like right on the beach, right in that busy, this busy beach town with people everywhere all the time, all around my house. And my shop was like Disneyland, so many people there. And I feel like a genius for like getting rid of all that and moving to the middle of nowhere where I have my own compound and I'm pretty self-sufficient. So like we don't, only thing we have to bring in is power. So, which I want to fix with remote generators because we're on a well and rainwater system for water. Like, I don't know. I've been kind of a casual prepper for a long time you know I've always like had standby food for six months and two 10,000 gallon water tanks and you know I could grind my own crack my own wheat from wheat berries and make my own flour and all I don't know just a weirdo like that I guess but any big projects that you're working on while all this is going on just guns for customers uh finishing the hammer project for myself like one of my hammers from the Long Beach shop that I'm restoring that was like my favorite hammer. And uh, I don't know, doing a bike for Dana White, another customer from Dallas. And What's the, tell me about the Dana White bike. Yeah, I'm just kind of building it like I would build it for myself. He gave me like free reign to just do whatever I want. Uh, what's a full stainless steel and fr frame and then every piece, like the 26 pieces on the frame are all relief engraved, like one of the guns. So it took over a year just to engrave it so and then i'm gonna hand i'm finishing the hammer so i can start on the bodywork i'm gonna hand form the bodywork on it i have this like weird uh like scarab beetle idea for a gas tank you know kind of articulated the way a scarab body is you know how long does it take from concept to actual finish of the project Probably take about two years, you know, that's about average two, two and a half years for one start to finish, you know, just because every single part on them is like handmade. So, you know, nothing's off the shelf. Your reaction to what's going on with gun sales uh, right now amid the coronavirus? Well, I'm part owner in an ammunition company in Arizona. And so we got ran on not last week, but when the first shelter in place order went out, we got ran on ammo, so we sold, I think, 4.5 million rounds in four days and cleaned the whole company out. But the only catch is, is like, uh, we get all of our primers from Fiocchi in Italy, and so they're shut down. So we're trying to find an alternative source for our primers. So, But we also own uh, 
Jaegerman Brass, so a stamping facility in Minnesota. So uh, we, all the other manufacturers that are making ammo and getting ran on and people buying it up, we make all the brass for them. So it's, it's good for everything. Like rising tide lifts all boats. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to send a special thanks to all those working to keep us safe during this pandemic. For more interviews with big name stars on how they're dealing with the coronavirus, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger. And you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.